Hey, we're jumping back into the book of Ephesians today. It's been almost two months. And uh, we're, we're kicking off chapter five as we get back into Ephesians. The title of the sermon this morning is Smells Like King Jesus. It's a fun title, right? So let's read our text, and hopefully that'll make some sense to you as we, as we get into the word of God this morning. So Ephesians chapter five, first two verses is our text today. I'll be reading primarily from the New Living Translation. Let's read here, verse one. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now as we open your word. We ask you, God, for the grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand and to receive and to walk in your love. Help us, God, to apply your word to our hearts, to our minds, and to our lives. Say we love you, God, and thank you for the incredible love that you have shown toward us in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so we, we actually started our study of the book of Ephesians back in September of 2018, <laughs> and we've been examining and studying every verse, and the Lord has been le uh, leading us in such a, a timely way. It's been very specific and powerful as we have given ourselves to the systematic verse-by-verse -verse study uh, and, and to the systematic application in conforming to his word. And today, we return to our study, and we're studying the kingdom of God. We're going verse by verse, like I said, through Ephesians, using the book of Ephesians as our backdrop. And to review, the book of Ephesians was written to Christians living life together as the church in Asia. And the apostle Paul had birthed this church several years before he writes this letter. And this church had grown to include both Jews and non-Jews who are following Jesus. And so Paul is addressing the church, but really who he's writing to is a movement. He's writing to a collective of several groups of Christians who are gathering corporately and gathering in homes in and around the ancient city of Ephesus. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians begins, he's, he starts right off by focusing on what God has done to save all of humanity through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he describes how Jesus has been exalted. He's been exalted in all the world and especially in the, in the church. And Paul teaches, he continues as he, as he lays out this, this theology and this good doctrine that you see in chapters one and two, he teaches us that through our faith in Jesus, we too have been raised from spiritual death by the removal of our sins and that we have been brought near to God and have been brought together with one another. That it is a good thing that we are together because Jesus has dealt with the things that, that cause relational conflict. He's removed our sins. And he describes how God has adopted each one of us as his own children through our faith in Jesus. And that was the whole first chunk of our study of Ephesians. We called it Kingdom Kids, that I am a child of God. God has adopted me into his family. And the section, uh, the, the, the part of our study of Ephesians that we're in now, we've entitled Kingdom Family. 
Because Paul has been continuing to teach us how we've been brought together in Jesus at all nations, all people, as God's kingdom family. We learned that this family is a new culture, Jews and Gentiles, people from every nation, every tongue, brought together on equal ground in Jesus. We are God's kingdom kids. God is our Father. We're the body of Christ. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. And we now, as the modern-day church, are caught up in the ongoing move of God's Spirit today as he continues to call and to save people from every nation, building his family, this new culture And we do this by living as God's kingdom family in the midst of the current culture of the world. We live our new lives in Jesus. And we live together as a family demonstrating clearly and powerfully the reality of the gospel. And we do this in our unity, we do this in our diversity, and we do this in our life together as the church. And through the love and the purity of our everyday lives, we live together in the kingdom of God as God's own kids, together as the family of God. That is, that is the overarching theme of Ephesians 1 through 3. And this is the foundation of our identity individually. I am a child of God. God has adopted me, not as a slave, not as just kind of like a, a willing servant. God has adopted me as a child. It's very strong, specific vocabulary that Paul has used. It's the foundation of who I am, the foundation of my identity. Because that's what our culture keeps putting out in front of us. Just try harder. But how would that be helpful? How would that be loving? But what is Paul trying to communicate here? Try harder to be like God is not what Paul is saying. Look at the whole verse. Uh, We're going to read it in the New American Standard Version right now. He says, Therefore, because of your identity in Christ, because of the gospel, everything that's been done for you and to you by the sacrifice of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that you've received, he's because of that, be imitators of God. And there's a comma, and he finishes this expression by saying, as beloved children. And that little expression, as beloved children, it changes everything. Our identity as children, as children of God, It's a work that has been done to us. It is a work that's been done by Jesus for us. And so our identity as forgiven, as loved, as children, this is a free gift that we receive from God. We don't earn it. We haven't worked for it. We don't deserve it. That's the gospel. The gospel is not about what we do for God, but about what God has done for us. We are who we are because of what God has done for us. And so imitating God is not about how well we can do and how well we are able to try harder and to be more successful in this life. Imitating God is about receiving the love of God, being changed by this love, and walking in this love as a child of God. My kids know my love and my commitment to them, and they trust me. And so they find safety in identifying with me. I'm like going to the grocery store. My kids want to go with me to the store, right? It's never easier when I take my kids to the store with me, right? It's never easier when when they want to help me wash the car, right? It's never the easy route. But I want them to come with me because I love them. There's there's no like benefit to it. It always costs me more money when I bring them to the store. (laughs) It, It always takes longer when we're at the store. I want my kids to be with me because I love them. Guys, this is who healthy children are. 
Healthy children are secure in the love and the care and the guidance of a loving parent or their loving parents. And we see so clearly in the book of Ephesians the love and the wisdom and the security of our good father. And we endeavor, the apostle Paul is encouraging us, live in that love. Like a healthy, secure, well-loved child wants to go to the stinking grocery store with their dad, right? I don't even have the store memorized. I'm like a train wreck in bonds. Like it's, it's way more efficient to go with mom. They just want to be with me. Now some of us, I understand, this is, this is a bit of a kind of a foreign language, maybe a bit of like a Pollyanna view of parenting because some of us haven't experienced the love or the affirmation of a good earthly father or a good earthly mother. Some of us in here don't trust anybody because nobody's ever proven to be trustworthy. It can seem in life that everyone has an angle, right? There's always a, a rub or a, or a trade-off in relationship. In fact, even my amazing parents that I had they weren't perfect, right? I'm glad to say that. I don't even know if my mom's here. Sorry, but you're amazing, but not perfect. It's because we fail. But look at how God demonstrated his perfect love for us. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Apostle Paul writing, of course, again, he says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ, sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, and while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Verse 11, he says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. See, God has proven his love for us by sacrificing his son for us. God sent Jesus to do for us what we cannot and could not and would not do for ourselves. Even if we could, we wouldn't. God finds us helpless, he finds us rebellious, he finds us hopeless, and his response is generosity. God generously gives us everything that we need. This has been a long time since we've been in Ephesians chapter 3, but recall this passage in Ephesians 3 verse 16. <clears throat> Paul says, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, through his spirit. He's praying that from his glorious unlimited resources, as a father, I can tell you that the most glorious and rich resource I have is my family. I might give every penny, all of my money to help someone else. God's changed my heart and my relationship with money. I, I could, that, that wouldn't totally surprise me, but there is no way that I would give up one of my kids. I can't even process that. How would me giving up one of my kids ever help someone? I'm not able to even understand such a radical love, such a radical sacrifice. I, I, I can't even get myself to that place. I am unable to process that entity. It is also the foundation of our identity as the church. We are the children of God. In chapters one through three, that is the theology, the doctrine of the kingdom of God. We are brought into the kingdom as children. That's what we believe to be true about God and about who God has made us to be. And then there comes this big shift 
we saw at the beginning of chapter four. In chapter four, Paul is like just shifts and there's this hard line that he draws between the way that we once were and the way that we now live. And he said this back in chapter four, this is a few months ago when we studied this, chapter four, verse 22. Listen to, the, listen to that sharp line he draws. He says, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And Paul here, he's just simply saying, because you are a new creation in Christ, he says, now walk in this new identity. See, good theology is vital for us, absolutely. It's important for us to have a clear understanding of who God is. A good doctrine is absolutely vital for us. It's important for us to have a clear biblical understanding of how we are to, to approach God and to view the world around us. So good theology, sound doctrine, yes. But good theology and sound doctrine are meaningless if they don't change us. This is why Paul, throughout all of his letters, but especially in 1 Timothy, you see this vocabulary he uses as he's encouraging young Timothy, this pastor that he's, he's mentoring. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says this. He goes, take pains with these things. He's encouraging him to apply the gifts he's been given, to walk in his good theology, to, to take great pains to apply the doctrine, for it to be something that changes him. He says, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so throughout Ephesians chapter 4, Paul draws a clear distinction between our two identities, the old and the new, the old self and the new self, and about the new creation in Jesus that we are now experienced as the children of God. And at the very end of chapter 4, this is where we wrapped up our study in Ephesians back at the end of November, he draws this contrast and, he, and he's emphasizing some old behaviors that are no longer true of us. We've been set free from these things and, and in that, he draws a contrast between the new way that we now approach life. And uh, first of all, he says, because we're children of God, we no longer lie. We now tell the truth. Now, we do that because God has changed who we are. Uh, he also says that we don't lose our temper. We don't, we don't act out in anger. We're no longer controlled by anger. We don't rage is the root word there when, he's, when he says anger. But rather, we ensure that our anger is righteous, right? God has given us his Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. The third thing that he, he lists in that, he says we no longer steal. We don't take credit for the work of other, people's, other people trying to build ourselves up. He says, no, we contrast that we now work hard. We're now generous with, with the fruit of our labor. We no longer use our mouth for evil, he said. We don't tear others down, we don't slander, we don't gossip. He says now we use our mouths for good, building others up, edifying. And he said finally, he goes, we're no longer unkind. We no longer leave, lead bitter lives. God has given us a spirit of kindness and of love. And what Paul has started to do is integrate three aspects of our new life in Jesus. And he says, in Jesus, there's three broad things that we've received through chapters one through four. We've received a new identity, right? He's been talking about who we are and what we are. That's chapters one and two. We've been given a new doctrine, right? What we believe, how we approach God and how we approach the world. We have a new perspective, a new worldview. That's chapters two and three. And where we are right now, we're in the midst of the third thing that Jesus has given us. 
He's given us a new experience, a, a, new, a new shot at life, new affections, new passions, and a new power to walk in this new identity. This addresses how we live, and that's chapters four through six through the end of the book. And Paul started to explain how all three of these new realities are necessary for us to embrace and understand. He says we literally are who Jesus has saved us to be. We are kingdom kids. God has made you a child. And we are together a family. It's something God has done. We literally have the power to walk this out, he says. To put on, to adorn Jesus. Because we have the spirit of God. That is who we are. Invited into this new life with God, invited to cultivate this new life as a child of God. And so, longest introduction in the history of the world, I understand it, but <laughs> now we're caught up to where we are in chapter five. <clears throat> this is where we jump into our text for today. Paul says, because we are invited into this new life with God, as children of God, take a breath, read our passage, imitate God, therefore, he says, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And much like the, the lingering aroma of a campfire on my clothing after a camping trip, our new lives have the lingering aroma of King Jesus. As we live in our new identity, as we're steeped in the love of God, as we embrace and pursue and ingest the love of God in Christ, we smell like King Jesus. And this aroma is pleasing to God and is pleasing to others around us. And it's all because God has done what was necessary to bring us to himself and to free us from sin and to give us a new heart and to give us new desires that we now are able to and called to walk as his children. Now, I've been, as I was processing this, I was thinking, how do my kids walk? Well, for better or for worse, my kids tend to imitate me, okay? Not always a great thing. I'm reminded of this every time my cute little five-year-old Shem tells some toilet-related joke, right? It's like, where did he get that from? It's like, if you know me, you know where he got that from, right? To my shame. I see it in my older son the other day when we're out riding dirt bikes and, and, and he's just like imitating me. We're eating these crazy hill climbs, you know, and I'm all the way up at the top because I gotta be, always be at least one or three steps ahead of my son, right? And then there he is behind me just, you know, all the way up and I'm like, oh, do it, make it, you know, just, just he, he's imitating me, <laughs> taking risks. I see it in my girls when they, they get at each other, right? They become sarcastic and defensive. I know where that comes from. They're imitating me. To my shame. Children naturally imitate parents. But we eventually learn, as, as we grow, that merely imitating our parents isn't enough. We need more than to simply live like others have lived. Yet, we, our culture, and, and, and us as individuals, we seem obsessed with trying to imitate successful people, or try to imitate insightful people, or try to imitate talented people. And we tend to imitate or apply ideas or practices that we feel are going to address or, and, and help us transcend our current circumstances in life. Uh, Salvador Dali was, was that, the great surrealist artist, and uh, he said this about imitation and the power of imitation. He said... Those who do not want to imitate anything produce nothing. He put a high value on imitation. And there's an entire industry built around our desire to imitate successful people. 
Thousands of books have been published, right? They're not all good. We have to be very careful who we follow. But our culture keeps throwing out examples. Be like this, be more successful, try harder, and and you'll be more successful. Be a better version of yourself. Here, Here are three, this was really fun by the way. Look at this book. This book is called Anybody Can Be Cool But Awesome Takes Practice, right? That's a thing, that's on Amazon. <clears throat> Check this one out. This one is called Stop Whining and Get a Life, A Kick-Butt Approach to a Better Life. Okay, a self-help book that was written by the bully that used to steal my lunch money in elementary school, right? <laughs> that, that'll help me a lot, probably. This is my favorite. Guys, if you're having trouble in your relationship, check this one out. It's called Dog Sense. 99 relationship tips from your canine companion. <laughs> right? That's so good. You're like, honey, I'm so sorry I've missed the mark with you. But I've learned so much from our golden retriever, right? I think I understand you better. See, probably not the right way to go. See, often we end up wanting to imitate the wrong people. But even, even when we feel like we're following the right person, we, we can't really effectively imitate someone. We can't really effectively model our lives after someone that we don't truly know. And we may try to be more like successful people, but that effort eventually becomes futile as the circumstances and nuances of my life begin to diverge from the person that I'm trying to imitate because we're different. But still, there's this huge, thriving Push, just do what I do, just imitate me. Be a better version of yourself. The self-help industry taps into the reality that each one of us feel the need to be better. And it feeds on the logic that we must perform better in order to be better. That's what the world says, just try harder. Listen, I've been trying harder my whole life. It seems that everyone says we just need to work harder, just try harder. The great American theologian and um, rap artist and producer, Dr. Dre, in speaking about work ethic, says this, you just have to find that thing that's special about you, that distinguishes you from all the others, and through hard work and passion, anything can happen. Right? That guy's a doctor. That might, I don't know, that might be good advice. <laughs> Lucille Ball reveals her work ethic in this quote. She says, Uh, Just talking about how some people say it's luck, you know, making it and show business is luck. And she questions that. She goes, luck? I don't know anything about luck. I've never banked on it, and I'm afraid of people who do. She says, luck to me is something else. It's hard work. Even Yoda chimed in on this. He said, do or do not, right? There is no try. Just, Just work harder. Don't try. Just do it, right? The Nike slogan. And it would seem, if we're not a careful reader of the word of God, that the apostle Paul jumps on this bandwagon and he's like, just imitate God, right? Like this is some kind of a a self-help passage. Just try harder to be more like God. See, the command to imitate God sounds a lot like that to us. And then on top of that, I would be unwilling to even make that sacrifice. God gave far more generously than any of us ever would or ever could. God gave his son, listen, and he gave his son to stand as an innocent man in our place and pay the price, the penalty that we deserve, that we earned, as Paul says, the wages of sin is death. Jesus took those wages upon himself for rebelliousness, for sin, 
for the disgusting, deceitful thoughts and intentions, the way I want to tear others down in the, in, in the, the dar- darkness and secrecy of my own heart. Jesus stood in my place and paid the penalty for my disgusting rebellion against God as an innocent man, taking upon himself the punishment that I deserve. Christian, God saved you by giving his son And he doesn't just leave you in that incredible place that you're saved. He also, in addition to that, empowers you by giving his spirit to you. So listen, regardless of your earthly family, you have a loving, generous, and powerful father who has called you to walk as his beloved child, to imitate God as a child imitates his father. He says, lean into me and imitate me. And the word that Paul uses here in the Greek for imitate is mimites, and that word literally is where we get our word mimic from. It means to mimic. Mimic God, he says. Well, how the heck do we do that? Well, let's read our passage, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. Imitate God. Mimic God, Paul says. Therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his beloved children, here's how you do it. Verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us and a pleasing aroma to God. We imitate God by imitating his love. And the most defining characteristic of God is his love. And the most defining example of the love of God is Jesus. And God has given us his love by giving his son to us. And so we imitate God by mimicking Jesus. And Paul is saying that as children of God, God has treated us with incredible love. And God has treated us so we now can reflect this treatment, this love in everything we do. A great celebrity impersonators will, will spend sometimes even years studying the person that, that they're impersonating. Are you guys familiar with uh, Jimmy Fallon's impersonation of Jerry Seinfeld? Uh, on, it's, it's excellent if you've never seen it, but there's actually a YouTube video of, uh, it's like, who is, who's the better Jerry Seinfeld? And both Jerry Seinfeld and Jimmy Fallon come up, and it's just this incredible, like, like Jimmy Fallon has Jerry Seinfeld down so well that he actually will exaggerate certain things in such an awesome way that he actually delivers Jerry Seinfeld's routines better than Jerry Seinfeld does. <laughs> it's incredible. But see, his, as, a, as a celebrity impersonator, his goal His goal is to connect his audience with a person who's not even in the room. He's mimicking Jerry Seinfeld down to the nuances, down to the pauses, down to the restraints, right? He's not going to say this. He's going to say this because in Jerry Seinfeld's funny New York accent, it's funnier, right? He, He gets all of that. We imitate God. We mimic God. We create a connection for the world around us to God by mimicking God. In his love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the passage that we're in today is probably the clearest connection that we see in all of Scripture between our identity as children of God and our motive for obedience. If you want to know why we obey, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is the best passage to go to. We obey because God loves us as children. We're children of God, and so we walk as children. Our strength and motivation and ability. To obey God is completely dependent upon the Father's love for us. This means that we can't obey God if we don't know the love of God. 
We cannot see the fruit of God's promises in our life unless we savor the love of God. We will not obey the will of God until we have been changed by the love of God. In the last several verses of chapter four, Paul addresses a list of old behaviors that God's children are now free from. And then next week, we're gonna get into verse three of of chapter five. The apostle Paul is gonna address the sins of lust and greed. And then as we continue in chapter five, there comes this descriptive imagery of relationships between Christians and marriage and that relationship and, and our relationship with our children. And at the same time, Paul is gonna address all sorts of behavior issues that the love of God deals with in each of us as we live our lives with others. Because we're a broken people, we, we need an example to follow. See, in our passage today, what Paul is doing, it's so important for us to connect today's passage to the rest of our study in Ephesians because he's laying the groundwork for the rest of the letter as he says that before we can see victory over any of our personal shortcomings, we must first know the love of God and we must know the love of God as his children. Being a child requires humility. Being a child requires, sometimes I have to tell my teenagers, you know what? You pretty much don't know anything, okay? Just be quiet and listen just for one second, right? And being a child requires the humility to recognize that maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe I think I'm really smart in this one area, but I really have no idea how the love of God needs to be applied to my finances or needs to be applied to my communication in my marriage or needs to be applied to the amount of time I spend at work or needs to be applied to, to the way I endeavor and indulge in my hobbies. As verse two states, we not only live as children of God, we now live as the child of God lived. We mimic Jesus. He's given us an object of this love. Jesus is held up as the example. And his love, Jesus' love, his self-sacrifice, his forgiveness, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness. That's not just some carrot that God puts out in front of us that we're going to be like snapping our teeth at our whole life and never achieving. That's not what God's like. That's not, I wouldn't even be loving or kind. He puts that out in front of us saying, imitate Jesus as children. He's given us a goal that that he's also given us the ability to achieve because he's put that love in us. He's allowed us to experience it and receive that love. He says, now walk in the love of Jesus. Walk in the gentleness that you have received from Jesus. Walk in the kindness. Walk in the forgiveness. Walk in the self-sacrifice that you have received from Jesus. We're invited to know God by experiencing his love. And then we're invited to mimic God by walking in that love just like Jesus. God's not setting some crazy impossible standard that is foreign to us or unattainable for us. He first invites us to experience his love, to sit in his love, to draw near to his love like a child draws near to their parents. And then he invites us to imitate him by walking in this love and empowering us with his Holy Spirit He gives us everything we need for this new life. The Apostle Peter actually uh, talks about this in very explicit terms, but from a slightly different angle. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, he says that by his divine power, God's given us everything we need for a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. 
Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now here's, here's where Paul gives his, or Peter gives his exhortation in verse 5. He says, in view of all of this, he says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Responding to the promises of God that have freely been given to us through Jesus. That is the gospel. We now respond. I love that encouragement to respond to God's promises. Think for a second. Imagine if you were living your life and you just know, you're convinced, the, the, the most present reality in your life, you know that God has given you everything you need. Why would I fear about finances? Why would I fear about this or that? Why, why would I strive in this area? You know who you are when you wake up in the morning. The most present reality is that God has given you what you need. Imagine what the freedom we would experience in life. Imagine experiencing the love that God has shown you. Actually knowing, again, the most present reality, pressing present reality in your life is that you know that God loves you even though you don't deserve to be loved. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to do good things and be like, hey, God, check it out. Look what I did, right? Look at the rock I painted you, right? If you haven't picked your kids up from Sunday school, it's the craft today. Wet rocks with paint on them. My kids are like, look, Dad, you know? And I'm like, I love you, but I'm throwing that away, right? <laughs> our, our best efforts to God. It's like handing him a wet rock. Like, it's like, awesome. I love you, not the rock, right? Imagine knowing that love and, and being empowered by that love. Imagine having the strength, knowing that you have the strength and the confidence to resist temptation and walk in the freedom, freedom from all the little things, not the big things. I know God has done incredible things in our lives, but the little things that keep us too distracted or too busy or too drunk or too tied up in different things and small things and many things. And we're so caught up in these other things that we don't lovingly sacrifice for others. Imagine knowing that you have the strength to walk in freedom from the many things and the many distractions. Paul is saying that you are free. You are empowered to now love. So walk in love. And the image that Paul paints here is, is three-dimensional. He talks about the smell of Jesus, right? He says in verse 2, to live a life filled with love following the example of Christ who loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. A sacrifice of love is pleasing to God. It has this aroma that he's talking about. It's discernible to others. And in your life, as you grow in this love, some people might actually see firsthand and experience your love. Others might know of this love that you're growing in. But there, there's going to be a host of people around you in your life that are going to smell it. They may not know where it's coming from, but there's something different. There's something fragrant. There's something pure. There's something powerful in self-sacrificial love when we actually prefer others. It's the best example I could think of. It's like the Lowe's parking lot at 11 a.m., right? You know what I'm talking about? Right across the street from Wood Ranch? They fire up that grill, and I don't care if you're a vegetarian, everybody's hungry. <laughs> it's like you don't see what they're cooking. You don't taste it. You don't feel it. It's just there. It's this lingering aroma from across mills, right? And it's strong. The love of Jesus lingers, and it points people to God. People may not know God, they may not even know anything about God, but our lifestyle of mimicking Jesus' love, it creates a pleasing aroma that, that lingers around us. 
Our self-sacrificial love is a distinct fragrance that catches the interest of others. The love of God calls and compels people to respond from God. And the love of God is what people should see and smell in our life. It sounds funny to say it, but I've been convicted by this this week. I think Chad is the one that asked this in the preaching meeting the other, the other day. He said, how does your life smell? <laughs> it's a funny question. Often in my life, I'll be totally honest with you, I shoot for neutral, and I wish everyone else did. I don't, I don't like BO, and I don't like any cologne or anything. I, I like neutral. Now, for my life, that... That's a personal preference, and it's weird, but that's what I shoot for, and I wish everyone else did the same. Spiritually, I love you, but I don't like your cologne. I promise you. Spiritually, though, that's a, that's a bad goal. If I was shooting for neutral spiritually, no one would ever see or, or, or sense or smell the love of God. Sometimes we can't hide the strong smell that we've been around. Uh, it's like traveling to Las Vegas. I used, in a former job, I used to go to Vegas a lot on business trips and, and meetings and things. And every time I returned home, everything that I brought to Las Vegas with me, and I don't smoke cigarettes or anything, they would smell like cigarette smoke, they'd smell like other people's cologne, and they would smell like bad buffet food, and I never go to buffets, I hate them. That's like everybody comes home from Las Vegas smelling like that. It's like the campfire lingering on my clothing after a camping trip. It's like my friend Paul who goes to first service. He works at the movie theaters. I, I love when I see him at evening events. You give him a hug and he smells like popcorn, right? <laughs> when you've been soaking up Jesus, spending time with him, ingesting his word, enjoying his love, embracing the freedom that he has brought to us, when we've been with Jesus, we emit the fragrant aroma and the warmth of his love. See, it's the love of God that enables us to experience the freedom, the identity, and the power as children of God. This love is impossible to imitate if we don't know it for ourselves. But as we receive this love and respond to it, as we savor this love, as we share this love, as we demonstrate this love in our relationships, as we walk in love, as Paul is telling us this morning, our lives become a sacrifice. They become a fragrant aroma that both pleases God and blesses others. And the world will not see Jesus in a bunch of Christians who are simply trying harder to love one another. Just trying harder isn't gonna cut it. Or trying harder to be a better person. Or trying harder to be a better steward. Or trying harder to be more successful. See, the world will see Jesus only when we enjoy Jesus and savor Jesus and imitate Jesus. The world will be drawn to Jesus when we allow the Spirit of God to empower our lives to be lived as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice to others as Jesus lived. The world will know Jesus when they meet him in our lives and in our life together as the church. And our culture, our community, listen, Reality Ventura, our culture and our community needs to experience this love. Our world, the world around us is desperate for hope. My neighbors are desperate for help. They're desperate for healing. The world needs Jesus. And we have the opportunity, and it's, it's more than an opportunity. It's an empowering call from God to let the pleasing aroma of Jesus waft about in our home and in our workplace and, and in our, the stores where we shop and in our social lives. And so today, receive the love of God for you. Like, lean into the love of God today. 
Receive and repent. Repent simply means turn. Turn to the love of God. There are many things in life, many crutches in life. Maybe it's a self-help book. Maybe it's an idea that you got. Maybe it's something really good that a wise person told you. Maybe you need to turn from some things in life that seem good, but you need to turn to the love of God and allow your identity and your strength and the vision in your life to flow from the love of God. Receive the love of God. Repent, turn, and respond to this love. Respond, walk. Take those opportunities to love others. Take those opportunities to sacrifice. Sit with God. Ingest, inhale, immerse yourself in the love of God so that your life might be lived as a living sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God and a blessing to those around you. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your word. So good to be in your word, God. You could say so much and speak so clearly and so powerfully in just two verses. God, we just rejoice, Lord, in your wisdom. You know us so well. You give us what we need. And this morning, Lord, we ask you now by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond, to receive to your love, receive your love, to turn, repent in your love, God, and to respond with our lives. Help us, God, to receive your love in Jesus today, even as Christians, Lord, to remember and recall and receive your love for us. pray, Lord, this week that we would live from that place as well-loved children as we endeavor to imitate Jesus in our lives. We love you, Lord. We want to be with you now. And so we give ourselves to you as a sacrifice, as a pleasing sacrifice now as we worship. Connect, Lord, these lyrics that we sing with the reality of what we believe, the reality of who we are in Christ. elements are up here on the front. If you are a child of God, if you're, if you're following Jesus and are a Christian, the communion elements are for you. Come and respond to the love of God by partaking in communion, by remembering and experiencing in a tangible, physical way the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. It is the love of God, the incredible, generous sacrifice of God that has invited you to know his love. It's through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what's represented in the communion elements. Come, be reminded, participate. And the carpets are right in front of the communion elements so you can assume an appropriate posture of worship as you remember and respond to the love of God. People are going to be up here on the right and the left, and they're ready to pray with you. If you've got stuff on your heart, if the Lord is putting some things on your heart, and you're like, man, I need to respond in prayer. I need some help in prayer. These people want to pray with you. But church, let's respond. Let's, let's move toward God. Let's lean into the love of God this morning and receive this love 